Welcome to Lectio Continua, a podcast of Grace OPC in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. I'm your host, Pastor Brian DeYoung. This is Lectio Continua Acts, episode 14. From time to time in preaching, we change the pace at which we are traveling. Sometimes when we're going through narrative sections, we can travel quite quickly and cover large sections of scripture or relatively large sections. But at other times, the content demands that we slow down the pace rather dramatically and take a much deeper, more careful look at a particular verse or section. In this particular sermon that we're going to hear today, we're going to begin looking at Acts 2, verse 42. And as you'll see, this is a very loaded verse. It has lots and lots of information about how the early church lived out its life in the world of opposition in the first century. But it also has a lot to say about how the church of all ages is supposed to function. What are our priorities? How do we flourish and thrive and grow in this world? So we slow down the pace. We do a deep dive and we take a very careful look. In this first sermon on this verse, we are going to be looking at the idea of devoting yourself continually. And so I spend some time in the first point on the act of self-devotion. Then we look at the objects of devotion And then in the third point, the art of continual self-devotion. This really sets the table for the content that flows as the church devoted itself to the apostolic teaching, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, and to fellowship. And so we look at this and ask the question, how does one devote him or herself to the things of God and the things of his word? So I trust that this will be an encouraging, edifying, challenging sermon for you. And as you listen to the others in this particular uh, mini-series in the book of Acts, I think you're going to find your faith edified, your spiritual disciplines challenged. I think you're going to see areas where you can improve and increase in your daily commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. So without any further ado on my part, here is is continually devoting yourself. Please join me in turning to Isaiah chapter 55. I'll read the entire chapter. This is the word of the living God. Ho, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown to David. 
behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you. Because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. And instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. Now in the New Testament, we turn to Acts chapter 2, looking this morning at verse 42. This comes on the heels of the conversion and the baptism of 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Let's ask God's blessing. Father, as we come this morning to your word and consider this singular verse, we pray that your blessings would abound to us and that you would help us not only to understand, but to do this word, to put it into practice in our own lives, in our own experience. Hear us, O Lord, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Early on in my ministry, I had an experience that changed my outlook substantially. At the time, I was preaching through the Gospel of Luke, and I was forced to face Jesus' demands regarding discipleship. That's one of the themes of the book of Luke. And as I dug into the issue, I discovered that the most commonly used word for followers of Christ in the New Testament is the word disciple. That is basically what we are, disciples. 
A disciple is one who follows a master and dedicates himself to his master and his teaching and his lifestyle. The high expectations for a disciple of Jesus Christ put me back on my heels. He doesn't ask for just 10 or 20 percent. Indeed, he is not satisfied with 75 to 80 percent. Jesus calls for complete commitment and an undivided devotion. If anyone is going to come after Jesus, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Jesus. That is what it means to be a Christian. It goes without saying that we live in an age where such commitments are rare. You don't often find people devoting themselves to much of anything these days. And it's really no different for many evangelical Christians. They occasionally will show up for a service or a special event, but when they are pressed for any kind of commitment, they shy away. They're like a horse that's been spooked. From their perspective, they make a commitment on their own terms. And if that means you'll see them if and when it's convenient for them, well, then that's what you're going to get, and you shouldn't expect anything more. It's the spirit of our age, an age of anti-commitment. But what is culturally normal is biblically abnormal. And this one verse shows us a much different approach. It's an approach of continual self-devotion. This morning we want to begin looking at this verse, and we will return to it in the coming weeks to tease out its various details. So I want to begin by looking first today at the act of self-devotion. Then we're going to consider the objects of devotion and finish with the art of continual self-devotion. On Pentecost morning, the Spirit of God did an amazing work. Through the faithful preaching of the Apostle Peter, the Spirit convicted and converted some 3,000 people. The church went from 120 to over 3,000 literally in a single day. Luke now describes how this suddenly large body of believers will operate in the days to come. They were continually devoting themselves to four things. To the apostles' teaching, the fellowship of believers, the breaking of bread, and prayer. This verse is rightly celebrated as something of a summary of the life commitments of the early church. And this verse, brief though it is, 
has tons to teach us about how we should function as the body of Christ at Grace OPC in Sheboygan. And so we are going to take our time to carefully dissect this verse. And today I want to begin with the opening words of the verse. Specifically, I want to focus on a verb, proskartereo in Greek. This verb is translated in the New American Standard Bible as continually devoting themselves. Other translations render it with slightly different terms. The King James Version says that they continued steadfastly. The NIV renders it, they devoted themselves. And still another translation says, they were steadfastly continuing. This verb itself is a compound verb. It has a preposition attached to the main verb. And the preposition is pros, and kartereo is the main verb. Now often in the Greek language, compound verbs are used to strengthen and emphasize the basic verb. In fact, it intensifies the verb. So rather than just the plain verb, it gives added oomph to the verb. The dictionary definition for this verb, proskartereo, is to be strong, staunch, to persist obstinately, to engage with steady persistence. It conveys the idea of giving constant attention to a person or a thing, or to attend constantly upon a task. The particular form of the verb here in verse 22 is a present active participle. So that tells us that it's an action that is very purposefully engaged in, and since it is in the present tense, it has a continuous or ongoing aspect to it. So this is not something that you did once upon a time, many years ago, never again to be repeated, but rather it's an action that you do and that you keep doing. You're always doing this. You're continually engaging in this activity. And you do it for yourself. Nobody else does this to you. This is something you do and keep doing and repeat again and again. Well, Luke apparently liked this verb, proskartereo, and he uses it elsewhere in his writings. So let me show you just a few other instances right here in the book of Acts. If you turn back to chapter 1 and look at verse 14. So Acts 1, verse 14. These all with one mind 
were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So in this verse, the believers were continually devoting themselves to prayer as they contemplated replacing Judas Iscariot. That was an important decision that they had to make. And so how do they approach the decision? By continually devoting themselves to prayer before making the decision. Next, we go back to chapter 2 and ahead to verse 46, just a few verses after our passage. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. So day by day, they are continuing with one mind in the temple. That's the verb, continuing. They were devoting themselves to, again, the breaking of bread, taking meals together. It's a continuous self-devotion. And then the last example I'll show you is in chapter 6. And this is not insignificant either. Chapter 6, verse 4. These are the apostles who are speaking to the congregation, suggesting that they choose deacons. And then in verse 4, they say, But we will (coughs) devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So now it is the apostles who are saying, We are going to devote ourselves to two things, prayer and the ministry of the word. We've got work to do, spiritual work. And we can't be waiting on tables. Choose some deacons to do that good work so we can devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. So again, Luke really seems to like this idea of devotion, of self-devotion to these important things. So then coming back to our text, to what are these believers devoting themselves? In other words, what are the objects of their devotion? And we can answer that question in two ways. The most obvious way is to look at the details of the verse itself. They are devoting themselves to apostolic teaching, to koinonia fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Now as we think about those four things, we can see that they have certain points in common. They are all shared interpersonal activities. People praying together. People enjoying fellowship together. People breaking bread together and even people listening to the teaching of the apostles together. So what we see here is really community life. It's a shared set of experiences within the covenant community which takes place first and foremost in worship, but also outside of worship. They're doing things together. 
because they are bound together in and through Christ, they are interacting with one another in these important activities. There's just no substitute for spending time with other people, for building and advancing your relationships. It's been such a joy for Delu and I to have my parents with us over this weekend. And that time shared together just enhances and enriches the bond of love and commitment. And you know, when you're far away from friends or family and you don't see them very often, those relationships don't disappear, but they do tend to dwindle or even go dormant a bit. And then when you have those times to be back together again, it's refreshing. Everybody is enlivened by that. Christianity is not a religion that is primarily about your individual private experiences. It starts with a community life, the corporate life of the church. And so when we do things together, and especially we do things with good purposes in mind, that just enhances our fellowship and our relationships one to another. And I could multiply the, the examples for you. But even something as apparently silly as miniature golf, and miniature golf is pretty silly, but it's time to be together to have fun together, to do things together, to have experiences together. And, and maybe we won't be discussing Calvin's Institutes out on the miniature golf course, but that's okay. Because we're a body that comes together just like this early Christian community came together. But these four things are also connected to one another by God's grace. God's grace comes to the community of believers through the teaching of the apostles, through the fellowship times, through the breaking of bread, and through prayer. These four things are means of grace. And by engaging in these means of grace, God brings growth to the Christians of the early church. And thus, I think it is fair to consider them together under this rubric, a constant self-devotion to the means of grace. A commitment, an ongoing commitment to say, I am going to be under the means of grace. Here's how Calvin describes it in his commentary. He writes, In their doctrine, Luke doth not only commend them, commend in them the constancy of faith or of godliness, but he saith also that they did constantly give themselves to those exercises which serve to the confirmation of faith. To wit, 
that they studied continually to profit by hearing the apostles, that they gave themselves much to prayer, that they did use fellowship and the breaking of bread very much. They were constantly giving themselves to the exercises which served for the confirmation of their faith. That's what the means of grace do. These exercises confirm and strengthen faith because by these means of grace, God is pleased to convey that strength and growth to his people. And so there is a regular, repeated, habitual involvement in these means of grace. Now we could stop there and say, well, the text really takes us no further. And yet I think that would be potentially misleading and probably quite harmful. And what I mean is this. It's entirely possible to see the means of grace as ends in themselves rather than as means to an end. Jesus critiqued the Jews on this very point in John 5, 39 and 40. He says this, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you might have life. If you think about that, it is entirely possible to search the scriptures diligently, to be excellent Bible students who know the Bible backwards and forwards. It's impossible to memorize large chunks of scripture and yet never see Christ revealed in them. Whatever people devote themselves to means as if they were ends, they fail to reach the true purpose, which is really to know and love Christ. And we fall into this so easily. Are you reading your Bible? Read your Bible for 15 minutes a day. Okay, pastor, I've been reading my Bible for 15 minutes a day, every day. Pastor, even on Sunday, I read my Bible for 15 minutes. And I've come to know that Bible. And I can quote that Bible to you, Pastor. But have you found Christ in the Scriptures? The point is not to become experts in the Bible per se. The point is to come to Christ through the Scriptures. And so... What the early church was really doing, I think, was devoting themselves continually to God and to Jesus Christ. They were using those means of grace in order to seek the author of those means. They accessed grace in order to know and love and serve the God of grace. And this is what we must continually do, to seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. 
Seeking the Lord's face continually is the great object of our lives as believers. It's not about having a perfect track record of personal devotions. Though you know I love personal devotions. It's about seeking God. And if you use personal devotions as a shield to avoid seeking God, it would be better that you never opened your Bible. Because if you have been using your Bible reading and your prayer as ends in themselves and as ways to avoid engaging the true God of heaven, you have been using these good things for nefarious purposes and you will be called to account on the day of judgment. Just as Jesus called these Jews to account and said, you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Oh, you're, you're Bible scholars par excellence. You know your Hebrew Bibles inside and out. But you won't come to me, he says. What a scorching indictment that is of religious people who read the Bible. Now you might have a sense, just if you sat under my ministry for any amount of time, that I'm constantly nagging you to read your Bibles. And I'll, I'll come clean with that. Yeah, I do that. That's a hobby horse I like to ride. But please understand that it's never for the purpose that you can become experts in Bible trivia. I am always trying to drive you to the Scriptures, to drive you to Christ, who is the core and center and focus of the Scriptures. And if all you get out of the ministry of this pulpit is, boy, I feel guilty because I don't read my Bible enough, then somehow or other I have failed to convey to you that it's Christ, not the Bible that is at the center of it. The Bible is the means through which you come to Christ. Seek God. Seek Jesus. And that's what the early church did. And that's why such amazing things went on in those foundational years of the early church. Because those people sought God with all their heart. And they pursued him continually. So what should we then do if we would continually devote ourselves to God and to the right use of the means of grace? What is the art of continual self-devotion? In other words, Pastor, how do you apply this? That's, that's what I want to take up. How do we apply this? How do we begin to continually devote ourselves to seeking God and Christ? Well, I think it really begins with some honest and humble assessment of ourselves and our own current commitments and priorities. What matters most? 
to you. What is your highest priority? For some people, it's work. They love work. And they love to be at work. And they're at work all the time. And that's where they find their fulfillment and their satisfaction in their job. For other people, what matters most are family relationships. Husband, wife, children, parents, brothers, sisters, whatever. They give themselves to their family relationships. Not a few in our day and age give themselves to pleasure, to enjoying themselves, to having a good time, to bringing pleasure to their bodies and to their hearts. So they're always looking for some new thing, something that's going to yield more pleasure than they've ever known before. That can take the form of sports. Brewers are having a good year. They're looking good for the Central Division. I'm going to give myself to following them and watching the box score and keeping track of everybody's averages and every statistical category that exists. Or movies. Some people just love, love, love going to the movies. So they're always at the movie theater or always on Netflix. And then there's areas of self-seeking that are not in any way wholesome. People give themselves to sexual immorality, to the abuse of harmful drugs that destroy their bodies. Any number of things. What do you give yourself to? It's really important to be honest here. I realize, I've been around enough to know that when a pastor asks a question like this, people will give the answer that they anticipate the pastor really wants to hear. So the answer is something like Jesus, or faith, or prayer, or the Bible. Let me just say that you don't need to answer me on this. I I don't really want to hear your answers. But you need to look yourself in the face. And you need to answer for yourself before God. You can fool me. I'm pretty easily fooled. You shouldn't fool yourself. And you cannot fool God. It's time to be brutally honest and truthful with ourselves. To tell ourselves the truth. And don't try to bamboozle God. He sees through such efforts. He knows how things really stand better than you yourself do. He won't be fooled. Just be honest. And if you're honestly assessing yourself, then you should move next to evaluating your current use of the means of grace. Scripture, prayer, sacraments, fellowship, Are you presently using them? If so, how often? When you use them, how long do you typically spend 
using the means of grace? Is it what you might call sustained, or is it momentary or spasmodic? So do you read large portions of the scriptures, or do you spend significant time reflecting upon smaller sections? Are you in the Word? And when you pray, do you measure your prayers in seconds, minutes, or hours? Now as you honestly evaluate your use of the means of grace, you have to ask yourself, are there some of these means that I'm just completely neglecting? Or even purposefully avoiding? And from there, we need to ask ourselves too, am I making these means into ends themselves, or do I use these means as an end to knowing Christ and loving God? So the first question might be, am I reading my Bible much? The second question, am I reading my Bible so that I can know Christ? Am I seeking Christ in the scriptures? And that first question is important because you can't find Christ in the scriptures if you're not reading the scriptures. But that second question is vital too. Am I using the means as means or am I treating them as ends? Do I feel satisfied at the end of my morning devotion time if I can check the box that I read my Bible for 15 minutes? Or do I come away from my devotion time saying, I love my Savior, and I have seen things of Him in my reading this morning that set my heart ablaze with love for Him? And it really comes to the question, and maybe the most fundamental question you can ask yourself, what is your relationship to God these days? Are you regularly relating to God? Or do you tend to avoid Him and perhaps even to ignore Him? This is nothing particularly new. After Adam and Eve had eaten the fruit, what did they do? They went and hid from God. When they heard him coming in the garden in the cool of the day, they were hiding in the trees to avoid being seen, to avoid having to face him. God never ignores or avoids us. But it is fully human to avoid and ignore God. And you have to honestly ask yourself this question. What is my relationship to God like right now? Is it free and close and easy? Are we near? Or is it like a barren desert? Is there a great gulf that has grown up between me and God? Because I've been edging away from Him. 
If your heart is continually devoted to seeking God, that's great. But if your heart is playing games in an effort to avoid God, that's really dangerous. I'll just close with this word. It is both our duty and our privilege to seek the Lord. To desire after Him. To strive after Him. To be continually devoting ourselves to this most holy pursuit of knowing God and relating to Him. Here is how David puts it in Psalm 105. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. Remember His wonders which He has done, His marvels and the judgments uttered by His mouth. O seed of Abraham, His servant, O sons of Jacob, His chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. We are surrounded by His marvels and His judgments. He has done great wonders. And as the seed of Abraham, as the sons of Jacob, as the chosen of God, it is our duty to seek God's face continually. To give ourselves to this constant devotion to seek and know the Lord. And I will promise you that if you give your heart to this pursuit, you are going to be delighted and surprised and overwhelmed with what you find. For when people seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near, what they discover is something that their imaginations could never conceive. That the Lord is good. That he is full of mercy. That his loving kindness is sweetness itself. And you find that he is your all in all. And that he loves you far more than you've ever realized or ever known. Seek the Lord, people of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you call us to devote ourselves to seeking you. And that you give us this challenge and this call and this promise here in this verse. Lord, help us to be honest in assessing our own hearts, our own commitments, and our own priorities. And where we need to be reoriented. Lord, help us to reorient. Where we need to be corrected. Lord, be our corrector where there are idols in our hearts that have grown far too important to us. Grant us humble repentance that we might cast those idols out 
and that you might have the first place in our hearts, our minds, and our lives. Hear us, Lord, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.